0: Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L.
1: This is Amber. We had a great show tonight. It's a deep show. It starts it out deep.
0: A great way to end this ridiculously stressful day.
1: Well, Scott had a lousy day.
0: Well, <laughs> you had a lousy day last Friday.
1: I did. I did. I was for the first time ever I had what I'm always I always fear will happen when I have a long distance book talk to drive to. Um I have an old car that I stopped driving because nothing's wrong with it. It's just a Toyota Corolla with two hundred and seventy thousand miles on it. 70 Sorry. Two hundred and seventy four thousand miles. 000 on it. Yeah. And I'm just at that moment it's like I something could go wrong at any moment. It's just I you're that's yeah. what happens.
0: So I bought a new vehicle back a uh, new truck back in February. Mm-hmm. And I didn't trade in my little car that I've had. Yeah. So you I mean, had 2013 a little Chevy, 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 Chevy Sonic. Sonic. So yeah. I've been using that. Yeah. I'm like, here, take newer. this is newer, or take this car. It's in good shape. Um, I've had it checked out. No yeah, problem. Scott
1: always takes really good care of his cars and everything. So I've been taking that across the state when I go visit family and stuff. And then I had to go over to Marcellus, Michigan, which is a little area in uh, by Battle Creek in southwest Michigan. And. One of the characters in my book, Farmer Riley, was from this town. So their small library asked me to come out and I got to meet Farmer Riley's great great granddaughter, which yep. was bonkers. I never thought I'd meet someone like a family member from someone I wrote about uh, who passed away, you know, in 1920. But sure enough, 15, we were, Julie and I, my friend, we were leaving early because we were going to go. Was,
0: it panned out the way it did. Yeah. Well,
1: we were going to go early and go monster hunting. At the Sister Lakes, because I wrote about the Sister Lakes monster, and that was nearby. And so we had this lovely day planned. And then we're about 15 miles into our journey, and the car starts violently shaking, and we have to pull over, and it's the engine, and, yeah, had to get towed. And somehow we miraculously still got to Marcellus, Michigan, but I was a little shook. I don't think I was—I I, I no. know people there enjoyed the talk, but I know I was off my game.
0: But I— and I'm sorry about and that. And now then really, Scott I, I am really sorry that's about okay, that. I, not, that's kind of a You no, can't no, predict that. Yeah, and um
1: but then you, Scott had to come pick me up 3 hours. Yeah,
0: I drove out there and from got from Detroit
1: her. to Grand Haven. Yeah,
0: get her get her back home and then So now, the car's now,
1: abandoned back in Grand it's Haven. It's abandoned. It's, it's not abandoned, it's, but it's, it's
0: It's 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 was at one shop that said they couldn't even look at the thing until the beginning of August, which I'm like, man, we got to get this thing taken care of. So I made some phone calls last night and found another reputable shop that said that they could. They could get the, get on top of the car uh, early next week, if not late this week. Which I'm like, okay, that's a better timeline. Um, if the thing was closer, it'd be a different story. It's the, the thing's 200 miles away from us, so I made arrangements. I actually called a tow company. They're like, yeah, 70 bucks. I'm like, it's one mile. It literally, this thing is one mile where where it's at and where it was at today and where it needed to go was. Exactly one mile, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's it's a mile. Can you guys, you know, nope, seventy bucks. I'm like, ah, uh, so I called a former insurance company that I used to do business with. That I still have a Auto Club membership, roadside assistance, garbly good thing with, and it took looking at six and a half hours for them to get a tow truck out after. I actually drew up an entire timeline. My Facebook friends will, oh will be able to see that. And I'm not going to announce it on the air who it was, um, but I was so, and you know, I'm, you know I'm pissed off when I do something like that because I keep my <laughs> mouth shut generally on social media. Uh, but, I, but I had an epiphany, and you know what? I got it in front of me. You guys will laugh about this. Um, in reflection on this. I literally could have drove to 200 miles from Grand Haven. I'm sorry, drove out to Grand Haven, 200 miles from here where we're at in Detroit, uh, parked my vehicle. I drove out there in the lot where the broken vehicle was, put the broken vehicle in neutral, pushed the broken vehicle to literally with my own two legs down the street for one mile to the destination it needed to go to, walked back from there, Back to where the car was. Get in my car that's running and drive back to Detroit from Grand Haven, and I would have probably had time to spare. That it took these guys to actually get a tow truck out there to tow the car one mile—literally one mile. I don't do a lot of commentary on the show.
1: <laughs> you can tell he's angry. <laughs> he's a little, little flustered.
0: Well, I just feel like you know, I don't want to come. I don't want com- to turn this into a big bitch session, but. I just feel like my life, professionally and personally, has turned into nothing but me kicking the can for everybody else to get them to do something. I don't know. Anybody out there feel that way?
1: I don't know. Send yeah. us an email if you feel that way. This is my way. editorial,
0: <laughs> Scott's editorial corner, you know? I just feel like all I'm doing is making phone uh, calls all the time going, dude, is it done? Did, did, did you do what you're supposed to do well, that I'm paying you for? I mean, what's, what, how what's, do the, you, what's the problem here?
1: How do you turn something awful into something good?
0: Well, I'm really, and we did, and we did tonight. I'm really, I'm feeling a lot better now. Well, now that I, you know, after I, we got it done, that thing, but we had a really, really great conversation. We did. Really great. I'm really happy about this. We're
1: talking about death tonight, which obviously. Which I'm really excited. (laughs) It
0: it made everything better. (laughs) Yeah.
1: People are going to be like, well, it's bummer, man. Bummer. Death. What? But.
0: You're listening to the wrong show.
1: It's obviously, we talk about death a lot because it's, it's the paranormal, like all that. But Mortellus is on with us tonight and they are a practicing necromancer death magic has amazing tra- traumatic backstory that the store the, you know that the show will open with um they said when when we were talking before the show that their yeah. life is sort of like a time life uh like not time life but like uh life what's it what's lifetime the lifetime uh and i'm like yeah, that movie. Yeah, New York Times bestseller, everything. Like, just just the trauma that people have to endure to get to where they are now. Yeah, you is... know,
0: tragedy and tragedy puts you, I, I found that tragedy sometimes puts you in interesting places. You know, pl- places that make you better. Right. Better and, places that you need to be at.
1: While right. it while it's not the same as like what Mortellus went through, yeah. my little Friday tragedy led to me purchasing a new car finally after twenty years. So, yeah, I
0: we. <laughs> so the little are <laughs> back we're back to that the story. little
1: things that just like uh, you know well, wasn't, you forward. But
0: it was uh, like look you're you, you do drive do do a bit of driving more than I do, I and do. I can't have that. I don't want to sound, but I can't have that happen for you. Bottom line, it's it, and I'm dead serious and anybody out there take it as you want but that's not i can't have that so we had to get something worked out so no. so all right. it's it's rant all good over. it's all rant good over. rant over
1: but uh you got to check out the mortellus's new book the book we're talking about on this episode comes out in october we will have all the links on our website uh in our show notes yeah. and you can follow them on social media check out what they do what they've already written on patreon I'm a big, uh, like, I love telling people, check out people's Patreons, because often a lot of creators only have, like, they have low tiers, like a dollar, so their content isn't ripped off by other people on the internet. Uh, So Patreon has been a very good thing for a lot of people out there, but a little bit about Mortellus. Yes. Mortellus is a lineage, third-degree gardenerian high priestess of the Long Island line, presently busy at work on their third book with the second... The Bones Fall in a Spiral, a necromatic primer, the one we talked about tonight, mm-hmm. completed and arriving soon in October. Mm-hmm. In addition to their role as high priestics, Mortellus is a mortician and holds degrees in design, education, fine arts, and mortuary sciences. Their areas of expertise include necromancy, necrobotany—I forgot to ask them about
0: necrobotany—mediumship
1: mm-hmm. and the funerary rites of minority faith groups— Currently residing in western North Carolina on three acres that doubles as the Covenstead for the coven of leaves with their spouse, adult mm. child, AMAB, AFAB twins, and dog. Generally wishing there was more time in the day for hiding in the studio and playing with clay. So please enjoy our discussion with Mortellus. Nineteenth, two 2019 episode 58 our guest was kelly christian yeah and kelly we discussed post-mortem photography oh yeah with her which is of course i have a not a large collection, but I have a decent amount of them. I just find them very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the one time we got like a negative comment on Facebook where we posted our show and someone was like, you shouldn't have used a picture of a baby.
0: That's Well, that's the and actual like, picture we ha- we have in our house. Isn't no, no,
1: no, no. It was just some a historical photo I found on the internet. But we like do have the one that someone did get triggered that. by that. And yeah. it made me think about like, wow, you know, had I guess just posted like an old person and you accept death in them, not so much like a baby. Yeah. But uh, that was interesting. But we talked about the death positive movement with her, which we will no doubt discuss a little bit later on in this episode. But people have strong feelings about showing death or trying to get people to look at it in a more positive light. I mean, we all die, right? So maybe if we can make ourselves a little more comfortable with it, why not try that?
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: on this show, we are going to be exploring the subject of death with author Mortellis, who is going to help us explore probably one of the most misunderstood forms of magical practice out there, and that is necromancy, mm. a word that is very loaded probably to many people who don't know a thing about it. So Mortellis, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to Ghostly Talk.
2: Hi, thank you for, for having me, of course. It's, it's a pleasure, and you're right, it is one of those sort of Controversial topics, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, very much so. Because I, I and as I have questions, we'll be talking about the reputation and like the negative <laughs> connotations and all the fun stuff that go ar- along with that word necromancy. But you have a new book. This is your second book. It's coming out in, uh, is it October?
2: It does. It drops October third. Perfect um, month. Yes, indeed. I think. Um... It, it's sort of my second book it's sort of not <laughs> i've actually <laughs> written like 11 books oh, but wow. they're kind of scattered to the wind and you know contributing to others and that sort of thing i'm always writing stuff saying stuff
1: right well this one's called the bones fall in a spiral a guide to necromancy and the magic of death and you wrote in the book quote we have always had a fascination with contacting those who have moved beyond the veil so, what fascinated you about this subject? How did you get your start in this magical practice?
2: Oh boy, <laughs>
1: I know that's a that's a yeah broad one. <laughs> one of those
2: stories, right? That's, um, yeah, and of course for your listeners, it's you know content warning for days. But um, I always <laughs> tell people I'm a recovering evangelical. I was never oh. really an evangelical, but I grew up in it. Okay. Um, my parents are are hardcore like. Long skirts and head coverings, no wow. TV, no radio, no stuff, you know, all that stuff. And,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, part of the quiverful movement. And I you know, I, I grew up around all that madness in in a church that I won't name because people immediately fit, sort of figure out what my family was, but they've been investigated by the FBI a bunch of times because wow. they're like seriously occult, like <laughs> super crazy stuff. And um uh, so my childhood was like a 60 minute special was pretty (laughs) terrible um the worst thing you can do is light up a room if i've learned anything from from watching the news um yeah i i was five years old and i had been penetratively assaulted by a minister in our church oh god yeah it's um some days i can talk about it better than others you think you think by the time you're 41 years old, you don't have nightmares about it anymore, but that's just not true. You no, know, you, no. every, every single day you think about it and I, I do my best to talk about it as much as I can, as vulnerably as I can, because people need to remember this stuff happens, you know, and mm-hmm. a, the amount of commentary I get from people that's like, you, you didn't understand your parents' culture. And that was just part of that culture. Oh, wow. Just, I just want to punch them all in the teeth every time. Right. It's, it's terrible, but. So here I was, five years old, we'll skip over all the horrible bits, and um, it's three days later, I've gotten no help from anybody. Um, Most of the people I went to for help didn't believe me, and the two that did told me I should never tell anyone about it because, well, then nobody will ever want you because you're not a virgin anymore and all this stuff. Wow. So... It's Sunday morning at this point, and I get called up to the front of the church, and the guy in question rededicates his life to God and says he's been called to, you know, a greater ministry. He's going to do missionary work and all this shit, and (laughs) I get asked to the front, and I am made to apologize for tempting them and being an agent of the devil. Oh, my God and that super fucked me up it just the most i was the most fucked up a person has ever been and confused and like what you know how do you process that yeah right, who, who
1: does that who, who asks a five year old right. to do
2: that it's looking back on it, i have so much compassion for that kid that i was because i just i don't know it's it's a strange thing to hold in your memory yeah mm-hmm. and then i go sit in the pew and the minister decides on that particular day to preach a sermon about suicide and how it's a sin told y'all content warning for days but uh um they talked about how if you took your own life you would go to hell because it was a sin and you'd never see your loved ones ever again and and all this stuff and in exactly that moment i guess whatever you know little guy standing up in my head with a pencil you know in hand just snapped it like (laughs) I'm like, maybe, maybe the devil's a good guy. That was my thought. I remember thinking that and thinking that maybe hell was somewhere that the devil sort of hid you from all God's people because they're very scary. And I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. It sounded great. Never seeing my family again. So I went home that night and I ate a bottle of heart pills that I had been vigorously told were not candy and I should never touch. Mm. And I went to a hallway because it seemed like a place where you went places. And I was trying my best to be really purposeful. I remember taking that so seriously, just like you go to other rooms from halls. So if I really want to go wherever my family won't be, I should go to the hallway. So I did.
1: It's like a liminal space already then in your young mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And that's that's one of the funnier parts of this memory. Not ha-ha funny, more like, you know, dark comedy Mm -hmm. funny, but yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah
2: so i go to the hall and i remember laying down on the floor and i remember feeling like the floor got soft like it sort of turned into a marshmallow like i was sort of melting through it i think now what it can tell you in the meantime is that i went into a coma my parents found me the next morning took me to the hospital and i laid in a coma for four days. And at the end of that four days, they attempted to resuscitate me because I flatlined. They made that attempt for twenty minutes and failed, called time of death. I laid on a table for eight minutes and spontaneously revived. Wow. They call that the Lazarus phenomenon when you spontaneously revive after called death. Really? Do you To me Oh go ahead. Go ahead. To me in the interim, it felt like thousand years it was not 28 minutes i have entire memories of being dead when i laid on that floor and felt like i was falling through it it felt like i was floating down through i don't know almost like water but i could breathe it you know Mm -hmm. there was no tunnel there was no light like people talk about there was a light it was the night light in the hallway and i could see it getting further and further away from me and i landed on what felt like furs and it was pitch dark like the kind of dark you cut with a knife eat it like a piece of cake and i laid there and i slept and i laid there and i slept some more until nothing hurt and i wasn't afraid of anything anymore and i just had this overwhelming sense that i couldn't stay there and i got up and just started walking a direction in the dark and i remember taking that first step i've talked about this before and anybody that's listened to me will remember the story but when i stepped off of whatever that furry something was and my foot hit the floor it felt like putting your bare foot on a concrete basement floor and if you've ever done that you know exactly what that feeling is like
0: every single day Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it's just this particular kind of sharp cold stony feeling but it's not unpleasant right it's it's just particular. And I remember feeling like I was in a cave or a tomb or a a basement or something like that. And and I liked it. And the air had that sort of damp, crisp scent, like after the rain, you know, and it, it was just a good feeling of a place, even though I couldn't see a thing. And I just walked. And walked and walked forever and ever in lifetimes and years and decades and after a while i could see all these lights in the darkness some were big and some were small and some looked like campfires to me and some looked like candles and some looked like blowtorches, torches and it's just like all kind of different lights and one kind of spoke to me and i walked in the direction of it until i finally got there and it was a person and I remember I remember that she had sort of long dark hair and green eyes, and she was wearing a green wool dress and it, it looked fancy to me, but also worn, like you'd worn it every day for a year, you know. She was barefoot, that stuck out to me. Hmm. She kneeled down on the ground and looked me dead square in the eye which no adult person I'd known in my life up to that point had done. She held me by the shoulders and just looked at me for a moment and gave me a big hug. And still, sometimes when I'm having a tough time, I can just sort of remember that hug, what it felt like. And she said some things to me, some of which were personal, and I never tell anybody. But one of the things she told me was what my life's work was, would be, and that I couldn't stay there, that I had to go back, that I had things to do. And she told me that life would still be hard and I might still get hurt sometimes and that things would never be all of what I wanted them to be, but that I shouldn't be afraid anymore. That that was what was most important because even though those things might happen, they couldn't hurt me anymore, that they couldn't touch me in the same way and that even though I might have to go back to those people in that home that they weren't my family, that I was her daughter now. And that the person that I was died there on that floor and would stay there with her forever, but that I had to go back and be something different. And I did, I woke up in that hospital bed to a bald doctor with their belt out, threatening to spank me. If I ever ate medication again, (laughs) nobody bothered to to wonder why I was there in the first place. Nobody. Noticed how hurt I'd been or cared. And I went home and my father beat the shit out of me for wasting medicine or wasting money and wasting their time.
1: Wow. Like they thought you were just dumb and eating candy or something, you know? Like yep. that and you're five. We're you're five drunk. when this happened. Yes. Oh my god. That's that's you'd insane. Be, you'd
2: be you'd be amazed about the statistics about small children attempting suicide. It wow. it does happen. <laughs>
1: That is,
0: ugh. as I get older, I find myself, um, and I say this to Amber a lot, and I say this to my friends. I've noticed that I've softened up a lot over the last, especially the last five years. Um, and I think, and the, the I think the main source of how I uh, what really kind of upsets me, or let's say triggers me nowadays, is oh. is the innocence of things when I see innocence being abused being taken advantage of and i don't think i don't think that's much of a stretch i think most of us feel that way right Of course. go ahead uh, yeah so i mean so i hear this sentence same. you know it it's that i get that same feeling in my gut that sinking feeling i get when i hear stuff like this when i hear i mean and at 5 years old um and i'm a, i know i'm not saying anything <laughs> and this is all very obvious i think Sure. five years old no child should have to be going through that kind of turmoil in their mind five years old you don't even understand half that turmoil in your mind now clearly you did right um well, you're right about that yeah. yeah um but that's even more of a tragedy in my opinion because at five years old you had to understand something with that kind of gravity on it which people in their 40s sometimes can't handle stuff like that yeah um and it's that same sinking feeling I get when I, you know, when I see that innocence, whether it's whether it's people or animals yeah. or whatever it is.
1: Um, I just don't understand how. Pe- I can't wrap myself around how humans can be monsters like that. Yeah, like the the lack of compassion. Um, it just, it I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And maybe that's why I'm not a shitty person. But it's like I just I cannot understand that. So. So you, you come, you come back, you're back to earth. How did you, you're, you're only five years old. So you have a lot of time to sit with your family and their beliefs. And so when, how did you then, when did you discover like Wicca, paganism and, and realize like, this is, this is what I need. Cause I think a lot of us have that story. I know I grew up Catholic and everything I loved from ghosts to hauntings to unicorns to anything like that I was into. My grandma was like, well, you can't like that. You can't like that because that's just against like God or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? And, and kind of like you, you were like, well, maybe the devil's the good guy. I remember when I was 12 and I thought, well, I guess I'm a Satanist because at that time yeah, I just we all knew- have that moment. Yeah. The angry- <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Cause I, th- 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 this God guy isn't too cool and I'm not a crappy person and I like these things and I don't think they make me bad. So I'm going with the other guy. And so for a while there, that's kind of how I was already f- trying to, you know, navigate my way through different forms of spiritual- spirituality and kind of escaping that grasp that Catholicism had um, over things I liked and-, and how I wanted to live my life.
0: Um, they met me, and you I started making a list of Venom all the time. What? They met me, and then I started making a list. Oh venom no, Scott! And
1: stuff. I grew up on metal, so that doesn't count. <laughs> And that was the other thing. I grew up in like a heavy metal household. So my grandma was like, (laughs) you can't listen to that. Like back in, because I think we're about the same age, Mortalis, I'm 42. And so I loved Marilyn Manson back in junior high. My grandma was like, I had to hide my Marilyn Manson shirt. I I had to put it on like once I got to school because she was like, just because she hears something, you know, on TV and whatever. But so how how did you, how did you come to find your current spirituality then um, as such a young kid? Like, I mean, what was your path out?
2: I guess the unsatisfying answer is that things got worse before they got better for me. Um, obviously, I had to wake back up into that same family. Only now I was infinite—you know, infinitely weirder. Um, I have this whole other life of experiences that I've just woken up with, which that's a weird, that makes you a weird kid, right? Right. <laughs> right. And I'm dealing with all this stuff where it's this kind of existential quandary of Well, I always knew my family was bad, but I definitely know they're bad now. And uh, just kind of having to grapple with knowing everyone around you isn't safe or good and you're on your own. And I've got two uh, kid siblings at this point that I'm basically raising, which is, you know, scary all on its own. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And um, I sort of decided i guess at some point that i didn't want to sound like my parents i thought that they sounded like bad people so i i sort of altered my way of speaking even as a little kid i mean you can tell i don't have a lot of that appalachian accent yeah mm. but um uh the church got weirder and weirder about me they did exorcisms i was baptized like seven different times oh they start. they decided i had a spirit of witchcraft within me so uh. there was a lot of like laying on hands and all this stuff and uh i was sold into marriage when i was 13. that lasted for a little while and i ran away from that situation and then again a little bit later and reached a point where i knew that if i stayed in that situation i was just gonna die so i ran away i left walking at like 6 a.m with three dollars in my pocket and uh was homeless for a single day and total strangers took me in off the street and i joined a carnival and did that for a decade (laughs) wow but that's kind of like a whole wacky part of my backstory but um yeah so i i guess i always knew that i wasn't whatever they were and when you grow up with evangelicals it's it's that or you are a witch right like that's really the only other box yeah, you there's, could no, there's
0: nothing in between yeah. that. <laughs> there's <Yeah>. nothing else
2: <laughs> so i i guess i always had that thought in my head that 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 was a word that defined me at least in their eyes so one of the first things i did after i ran away was went to a library and that was very new for me. I I always joke that a fun fact about me is that I have four college degrees, and I've never set foot in an elementary school, middle school, or high school. I have no high school diploma or GED, <laughs> so that's a whole thing. Um, taught myself how to read, so I'm in this library, and I want to find books about you know magic and witches and whatever that is. And I found those like Time Life, yes. Mis- you know those little thin black yep
1: i have a whole collection of them
2: yes and the witchcraft one was one that they had at the local library and i've been looking for a copy of that particular one forever and i've yet to find it but um it was reference only you couldn't check it out i had to like stand there awkwardly with the librarian and look at it and i was like yes this is the thing that is what i'm doing but it felt like i had already been doing those things all along and i had started to understand throughout my childhood that i was interacting with the dead that that was a fun skill set i picked up on the other side so kind of dealing with that as well and um i had been channeling a lot of writing from the dead for a while kind of in secret as a kid and um so of course i, I had to survive so i worked crappy part-time jobs and you know, worked with the carnival and traveled doing that for a long time and um finally get into school. All that stuff is, you know, a big part of my story. But very, very early on at 18 or so, I started volunteering for hospice because I that that was my one avenue into death work at yeah. that particular wacky juncture in my life. And I knew that I needed to be doing death work. That's what I'd been told. And I found that it was a lot of good work. Um for individuals on palliative care to, you know, hear what it was like for me to die, and I, I spent a lot of time doing night's watch or eleventh hour care. If you're familiar, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: for your listeners, that's they call in volunteers to sit overnight with individuals who don't have family to sit with them, uh, so that if they pass in the night, they won't be alone. Oh, okay. So I would do night's watch quite a lot. Um, and tell them that story and talk to them, and that is still a big part of my life. I still volunteer for hospice to this day. But um, I guess it's not a it's not a satisfying story. Like I said, it's, it's just kind of this.
1: It's thing. fascinating. I wouldn't. That's not satisfying. That you have, like you said, your life is a time life movie or something. That I mean, <laughs> this it, it is. I'm like already seeing like this could be like this is a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> like this is if, if, i now, mean this is fascinating everything you've say, been through
2: i will say to you scott you you were talking about that sort of uh hurt by seeing you know innocence taken advantage of like that that was also something that's always been a big cause for me so uh one of the first things i did on top of volunteering for hospice was do ad litem training and to on into today i volunteer as a guardian ad litem for the court and i always take the maximum amount of cases that i can so that i can stand there being an advocate for those children who don't have people to speak up for them
0: that's fantastic yeah and you know it's i've thought about this a lot you know and this is actually i'm glad we're talking because this may be that inspiration i need um you know i've thought about doing more i you know i i and i think this all started and it's 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 amber's fault because Uh-oh. no we started getting cats in the house Uh-oh. we started getting cats that's and everything It's not do like it was sitting doom scroll cat videos now every night before i go to bed <laughs> and, and i
2: highly recommend doing a casa or guardian ad litem work yeah. it's called something different depending on what state or county you're in but mm-hmm. um, it's tough work but they need people so badly and so many kids, their cases just sit there for years and years because they don't have an ad litem to represent them. Yeah. In my county right now, we have something like 187 open cases. We only have 11 active ad litems and we can only take as many as five cases at once. So you can sort of see how that goes. It's completely volunteer basis mm. and it's horrible, difficult work. So getting people to do it is, is just so tough.
0: How do you, you know, on that subject, and I don't want to take us too far off the path here, but because this is one of the things I know. And I mentioned this yeah, going on what I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about this, this exposure to seeing innocence be abused like this. Right. I find um, and I I've had to work very hard, especially over the last year to try to, you know, level myself out. And what I'm exposed to, to a certain degree, you know, not put blinders on and put my head in the sand, but at the same time, not run myself into a, a depression, which is what I found when you're exposed to these things. I mean, I I say to people now, just being part of a cat rescue, that's one of the things I do is I volunteer for a cat rescue and i tell the people i work with there that i live in a i live in a perpetual state of oppression all the time because i all i see is sick cats all the time or cats that have been you know more or less abused or left oh yeah um how do you deal with that stuff Mortalis? i mean dealing and we're dealing with children now which is i, I that, that's even more gravity i think i mean how how do you keep your
2: yeah what's your coping
0: yeah, mechanism okay hey, how do you cope you're <laughs> yeah. not yeah how do you cope yeah. with
2: that? caffeine and never sleeping i <laughs> <laughs> I mean, having good therapy when you can afford it and access, it is always important. And if anyone listening doesn't have good access, email me and I will not hesitate to help you find free therapy in your area. It's so important. But um, yeah, you, you just got to take care of yourself the best you can. And it's never going to be perfect. It's always going to be hard. And I think that from my perspective, I've felt what that feels like, what these kids are going through. And the best gift I can give them is getting mad and depressed on their behalf. You know, right. the rage yeah. is youthful. What, what is that line from American Gods? Angry gets shit done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, you know we, somebody has to be there for people and some somebody has to kick shit if we don't, if yeah. we don't stir the pot the soup burns that's what my grandma used to say all the time
0: mm-hmm. well and and that is true you and rage does get things done you know it that is something i i think i tell people angry people who are frustrated like that and that's where that you know i think that's where you do accomplish things or you can make a difference and help people is through that anger because that's what i feel a lot of times i i i'm i'm angry i'm frustrated um and i do bark a lot But at the same time, it does drive me to try to accomplish things, though, you know, positive things, good things to help people out or help animals out, too. So there's a lot to be said in that. I agree 100 percent more. I
2: think I I also out of all of those experiences volunteering, I did get a wonderful experience that I I just, you know, hold to keep me warm at night. I got got to make a, a judge very uncomfortable when i swore my ad litem oath because when the day came i knew i wasn't gonna put my hand on a bible so (laughs) i I rolled in with this gorgeous you know hardcover reprinting of the gospel of iradia because iradia doesn't take any shit either so i i pulled it out it was like this is what i'm swearing on and the judge was like can't you just do it like the atheists and just affirm (laughs) oh my god nope i'm swearing on this book this is my book. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> now, you have a degree in mortuary science. Is this is this your profession? Is this what you do like?
2: Well, profession would imply draw a drop paycheck, but, <laughs> but yes, it is. It is the career that I do and love. I am. Um, I mostly volunteer for families that need me. Okay. Um, the sort of going wherever I'm called. I spent two years doing a pandemic reserve work for the medical reserve corps um and i spent a lot of time volunteering for state labs to uh process the remains of uh unclaimed individuals or or people who died indigent that sort of thing okay so i've never actually drawn a paycheck doing uh mortuary work okay not a day in my life <laughs> which is that's terrible
0: that was my original major in college yeah. a lot of people that listen to the show know that Uh, when i was trying to when i was trying to get my life together at you know 17 18 years old here in detroit wayne state university where i did go to school at they used to have a mortuary academy they had the wayne state mortuary academy which was one of the finest in the country seeing that it was probably one of the only of five (laughs) in the country also um but it was there um and you know, it's funny, you know, on that subject too. I remember that time in my life, I was going down there and visiting the campus. Um, went to a couple of open houses, and it, it was, it was a li- we were, I remember we were going to see the Dead Milkman that night also. We yeah. were we we're going, we were actually the same, this one night, me and my buddy and his, and his girlfriend were going to go see the Dead Milkman play in Detroit. And I'm like, well, hey, on the way there, can we stop by Wayne State? because I want to go to the open house there mortuary the mortuary, like the, open mortuary house. At the mortuary school <laughs> and I you know what was and mind you this is a this is an open house it's supposed to be somewhat festive but it's a mortuary academy and the first thing I noticed when we walked in there is they actually had a casket room where they they, they displayed you know different types of caskets and mm-hmm. they had balloons in all the caskets oh, and I God. just thought that was <laughs> just completely I thought it, it, it was it was funny but we actually um Went up to the laps. They allowed us to, e- in every area of the building, including the laps. Oh, wow. With cadavers. Oh, wow. On the table.
1: Mm.
0: My buddy's girlfriend wasn't ready for that. She, um, poor girl actually passed out. Oh, I had to put her out in the hallway. <laughs> um,
2: it, it happens. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I couldn't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I was like, oh, boy, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and there's people in there actually doing their work and stuff like that. They're, they're in school. I had a friend. I had, I do have family still in the business in the, you know, in the funeral home business. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was on my way. It's like, okay, this is where I'm gonna go to school at. Um, this is my plan this is going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into mortuary sciences. And I had, uh, Bob Scott, one of the owners of the Ashley Scott funeral home local okay. one here gone, uh, dear friend of my family. He sat me down and said, I heard you want to go into, you know, mortuary sciences. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's what my plan is. And he's like, well, if you want to apprentice with me, you got it. No brainer. I'll be happy to take you on because that's what you have to do in that field, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's like, but I want to give you some warnings. And he sat, you know, he went through that. He's like, you're going to be on a doctor's schedule, but you don't get doctor's pay. (laughs) He's like, you deal with grief every minute of the day. He's like, it's going to be very taxing on your mind. He's like, I've done it for 45 years, and I honestly don't know how I got to the other end of this thing. Um, and he just kind of went along on that trip, you know, the mental aspects of it. And he's like, you know, I want you to think very long and hard about what you want to do with your life. Um, yes, yeah, so I went to business school. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i think it, they're very right they were right to give you those warnings and yeah. somebody has to do that work or people don't have anyone there for them but um every person you deal with is having the worst day of their life yeah and despite all the stereotypes about you know the the money grubbing funeral director well, why is that the stereotype in movies and stuff, but um whoever's helping you is probably making minimum wage or nothing at all
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you know we do it because we love it
1: right during you wrote your book during the pandemic, and I, I can I can sympathize with that because I too also wrote a book during the pandemic that I had to rely heavily on libraries and uh, all kinds of fun stuff that was closed. At the time, so it was just emailing librarians and scanning documents back and forth, which was, which was cool. I didn't have to drive places, so there was that. But still, uh, it was a crazy time. And you mentioned you and your spouse were essential workers during the pandemic. Because I have to say, I do read acknowledgments, and I loved your acknowledgement in the book. Because <laughs> you mentioned she, she, like, I'm sorry, they wrote Martellus wrote. I don't know if people read acknowledgments. And I'm like, I do. I do. And this one's fantastic. And so (laughs) you you mentioned like having a family, you got a spouse, you got twin toddlers, a teenager, you finished one book, wrote another. And I love how you mentioned that, like the whole state of like, probably your household was a scene during the like scene out of the movie, The Lighthouse. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. And I just imagined the chaos that, that I oh. felt watching that movie. And I'm like, yep, yep, that sounds right during that time. Um, yep. And then I do have to ask you, because I wrote this down, I don't want to forget. You wrote that your spouse bet you to include the phrase, quote, this book is not a supplement for your early 90s goth tabletop game. <laughs> I got I to have you explain <laughs> that one. I love this.
2: Oh. There are a lot of books about necromancy out there that are, shall we gently say, not good. Right. <laughs> you know, you'll you'll find this in any you know topic. You'll find a lot of self-published stuff or stuff that just doesn't have the opinion you have. That's going to be the case. But oh, sometimes I get so tickled by the sort of you know grim, dark <laughs> attitude that's almost <laughs> larpy in these books, yes. and it's like. You know i've in the height of my lighthousey kind of mania <laughs> while you know researching this book and i've got you know tiny little toddlers and my spouse is a postal worker and that was way more horrible than you could imagine <laughs> mm. and uh you know i'm doing mortuary volunteering it's you know all this horrible pandemic stuff and it's just chaos and a nightmare we have no childcare. it's it's a lot so I did a lot of ranting at different times about. So why do these all sound like a LARP or like the <laughs> authors playing Dungeons and Dragons? What is happening? And uh, that just became a catchphrase. And and my my spouse sort of jokingly bet me that I wouldn't say it in the book. And they they promised me bonus points for working in the phrase "Grimdark." So with <laughs> my acknowledgement, there I did it. It's I love it. The-
1: I was, I was, I, that made me chuckle right away. So to get back to this whole uh, necromancy, can can you give us a basic definition so listeners know what we're talking about if they're unfamiliar?
2: Absolutely, I'm happy to do that. And I will be the biggest jackass about it that you ever heard. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of things out there that we've let people take from us. You know, especially if you are a person assigned female at birth, you know what it's like to be called words that someone has made the meaning of over time oh sure um and taking those words back sometimes is empowering you can say things like i'm i'm a boss bitch yep or yeah i'm slutting it up yep sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can say this stuff (laughs) necromancy is a word that got taken from us around about the 1500s it's a great sort of place to start a story about necromancy we have sort of this rise of catholicism and we're still dealing with a lot of like post neo Platonism kind of nonsense yeah (laughs) i still blame plato for twilight ask me about that later i'll tell you how (laughs) we, we sort of have the Catholic Church doing a lot of stuff that people practicing what we would call pagan practices didn't like very much. And believe me when I say I'm using pagan very loosely. Pagan is a pejorative term that Christians used to mean simply someone who isn't Christian. So a pagan can be a whole lot of things. So people had opinions about the way they interacted with the dead. You know, they've got icons and you know, we've got, bedazzled bones and <laughs> all kinds of nonsense and they really re- needed to rewrite the story on what that looked like so you see this sort of rise in catholic popes writing a lot of grimoires some of the most famous necromantic grimoire were written by popes um and they just spin this fantastical tale of what pagan people might be doing and in a lot of instances you can argue this is anti-pagan propaganda where one of them has this absolutely nonsense uh, ritual laid out. And I love it because it's completely insane. And I just would love to do it one day. But you have to to dig up a grave and you have to take the person's femurs. And you you walk backwards all the way into a Catholic church on Christmas Eve during mass. And you have to just throw them in and leave, which is the funniest sight I can possibly imagine. (laughs) You just lob them in the door and then you have to walk backwards for like 5200 something steps back to the grave you started so i hope you had your measuring tape and work that out but and then you then you lay down and then the deceased person comes and they talk to you and that sounds like a lot of work that i'm not going to do ever. yeah oh it's nonsense right total nonsense so that's kind of the picture for a while of what people believe necromancy is all this sort of propaganda which Included the idea that if you were talking to the dead, you were actually talking to demons pretending to be your loved ones, right? We had to make pagan people seem foolish as well. So, fast forward to like the 1700s and 1800s, where you see figures like Kelly and uh, John D. Elphic Levy, all these kind of characters, most of whom themselves were Catholics. Elphic Levy was a recovering Catholic priest himself, right? and they are also writing about the topic but they're giving us this idea that you know there's the good kind of necromancy and the bad kind right and they only do the good kind with jesus i love i love this one book from that particular era because it makes this sort of empirically flat statement with no context before or after it just says the soul Of a necromancer is moist and turgid, and I think about that about a hundred times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Those
1: those are two horrible words. Moist and turgid. a horrible thing.
2: What is the texture of my soul? And there's like a Uh soggy sandwich or something. No.
1: So
2: so in that same time period of course we have mary shelley writing frankenstein and then this sort of early science fiction that leads into early video games and early DD and all this stuff so necromancy you can kind of see the picture of how it came to be what we think of today we think of you know a character from diablo with big skull paul and you know wrapped in green smoke and they're grasping the necronomicon or whatever but really, if you go back to ancient Greece, ancient Rome, whatever that means, heavy asterisks around ancient broad scope statements, right? Right. Necromancy was really just any work, magical or mundane, with the dead. You could be a mortician, you could be um clergy, you could be someone who worked with families to help clear their home after someone died, um, any number of things. Necromancy was really an all-purpose term. There is a quote from a book I love very much, um, Daniel Ogden's Greek and Roman Necromancy, where he states that necromancy was so prevalent throughout all cultures, just magic with the dead, work with the dead, throughout most of recorded history, vastly most of recorded history, that the question is not why did they practice it the question is why don't we we are the odd ones for not working with our dead but here's my take on it one i'm all about reclaiming that word any 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 anything you do with the dead is necromancy mediumship paranormal investigation um eating a ham sandwich is an act of necrophagy, which is consuming the flesh of the dead. Even if you dress it up like a ham sandwich, it's still necrophagy.
0: Oh, God, I'm in so much he trouble. He eats so many ham I'm sandwiches. <laughs> so much trouble. Oh, no.
2: Putting gas in your car is necromancy. We are using the remains of dinosaurs to power a oh, vehicle. Yeah. Um, oh, composting wow. for your garden is necromancy. Yeah. Um, microwaving leftovers from last night's dinner is necromancy. You are taking the remains the physical remains of something that once had life and you are reanimating it in a magic fucking box that we could not have (laughs) possibly imagined a hundred years ago (laughs) for you to derive a life from it is extending your life so many things we do every day are necromancy and the very fact that we have to couch that word in some kind of shuddering sort of cringing shyness as though it is something ugly and broken, I think that is the problem. We should get back to working with our dead, and we should not be afraid to use words that define it.
1: Oh, that is so fascinating to look at it like just yeah, through no, those no, lenses and perspectives yeah, and yeah. and mundane things that we do daily and don 't even think about it and and that brings us to that whole death death positive movement mm-hmm. this this idea of looking at death in in a in a more positive light even i get i love cemeteries I love them i i can I could hang out in them all the time. Uh, Scott knows every time we travel, I've I've had to stop at some of the big cemeteries and I run around taking pictures of tombstones like and like they're baseball cards. I got to collect them all, like <sighs> Pokemon or something. And I I was always the whole Victorian movement when you have like the garden, um, kind of like the whole garden aspect coming to cemeteries where it's this beautiful park, uh, meant where you can enjoy yourself, not this stark, gross place next to the church or something. Uh, but I got so, like, you go to an old cemetery, or any cemetery that has an old and newer part, and I love that old part with those beautiful, ornate stones and the inscriptions. I especially love going over to, like, New England and reading all those cool inscriptions and how what they wrote, and then you get into, like... later like the 21st century or the 20th century and the stones just become little cut squares of pink granite and there's really just a name and a death date and later on as we get better with technology i know there's like some laser cut stuff that can be kind of cool on the stones Mm. and i got so excited when i went into my hometown cemetery in grand haven and someone had a replica victorian weeping angel tombstone it probably cost them way too much money but I was like, "Bring it back! Bring back that like beauty in the cemetery." Um, I, I don't know. I'm rambling about cemeteries right now, but it all goes with our death positive thing. Can you can you talk about the whole death positive movement?
2: I can, but my ADHD brain wants to go backwards. Mm. I, yeah. <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> I will say, fun little fact for you: um, it is a if it's attached to a church, it's a graveyard and if it is not it is a cemetery right yes yeah. so there, there is kind of a reason that you see that flip stylistically and in the way people interact with cemeteries and graveyards around a certain time period and you'll sort of know instinctively where that breakpoint is it's right at the end of the 1940s and early 1950 um we are fresh off of world war 2 we've seen a lot of horror a lot of people didn't come home we have an influx of immigrants who are, yeah, you know, seeking safety after the war. Um, there's a lot going on and we're fresh up on the Cold War and we're just dealing with a lot of awful crap. So you see in that time period kind of this push to embrace the nuclear family we're embracing uh modern life through things like grocery stores which i could get way down the rabbit hole of how that's also some cold war bs like early prepper stuff oh yeah you know canned goods and refrigeration were all about keeping people safe if they had to wait out a nuclear winter really um people stop gardening and we're sort of pushing death away putting our elders in facilities rather than keeping them home with us we've seen too much death and we don't want to look at it in the face but as as humans our our idea of history is really short-lived because we are short-lived creatures truly um, but at any point throughout recorded history where you have death positivity you have sort of this repression of sex positivity and where there is sex positivity there is a regression of death positivity so we see in the nineteen fifties that movement toward pushing away death, which comes right up on what? The free love movement, right? Yeah. And then as that falls off the other side and you see people becoming more sexually repressed, we become more death positive, right? And you can sort of follow that cycle throughout history. It's just a it's just a weird little fact about people.
1: <laughs> no, that's interesting. That when you when you look at things like that, how I don't know if I want to call it like a, just the domino effect. How many things just affect the next thing and change the next thing. And our perspectives change and our lives change. And we start doing it this way because of this and, and how many decades and centuries and how, how far that kind of stuff goes back. And we just don't even think about it sometimes. Uh, Like you said, rabbit holes. Like I, I love going down rabbit holes. Um, Like
2: we, we want to think about people in like Victorian England as being super repressed right but you had people walking around their titties out flashing around (laughs) like nipple piercings and stuff it was super weird right weird weird time period and you can see where that drops off and we start having like cemetery picnics right there there is this very definable breaking point
1: one of the things in your book that i really really loved because i had i had probably seen this word here and there but never really thought anything of it but us we have a paranormal background you know we get we me and scott we've been together for 18 years but we met because of ghost hunting mm-hmm. and i uh, scott did this show called ghostly talk and i listened to it like you know it was just streaming on the internet <laughs> <laughs> and so i over time though i kind of had to come like i i was like i don't like the term ghost like i felt like it implied I don't one like the term, thing i don't like the
0: term ghost Not hunting a I don't well like it not, it's not it's not It. it You're applies, not hunting like, anything.
1: Well no but just ghosts in general like oh it's just the soul of a dead person. And then I feel yeah. sometimes too it's it's not I mean a little bit maybe wrapped into one particular faith um and doesn't isn't really inclusive but then you use the term I hope I'm saying this right idolon 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 Eidolon.
2: And anyone that reads much of anything I ever say knows I'm a big nerd for like D&D and video games and stuff. And they're going to be like, you got that from Final Fantasy, didn't you? Oh, so maybe. Okay. Avengers okay. But, but yes, it's still a word that means other stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I'm geeked you just said Final Fantasy because I think that's where I recognize it from because I love Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. might be where I remember seeing it. Yes. But you use it in place of the term ghost. Can you explain why? Because I love this.
2: So ghost doesn't mean anything not in a real sense it does we think of it as meaning a deceased human being right but that excludes lots of types of phenomena and when we are interacting with something incorporeal how can we definitively know specifically what we're dealing with yeah. so using a term like that could be excluding it doesn't include animals for example or inhuman beings um And it does not include things like poltergeists, who many uh, theorize are living people. So I prefer Eidolon because it means the incorporeal manifestation of a being living or dead. I I am specifically defining it as something human or animal. Using that word does define what you're interacting with in that specific way, human or animal, but it also includes the living. While also excluding inhuman beings, which ghost does not necessarily do.
1: No, I love that. I love that because I feel like there's so much in within the realm of the paranormal that is a bit dated. And yes. needs it needs some dust like some sprucing up. We need to like extend our boundaries more, which I think we should be able to do because there are no boundaries to begin with it's the you know it's the unknown it's like anybody we've always said on this show over the years there's no experts in this field people that are like yes i know what ghosts are and i can get them out of your house and blah blah (laughs) it's like no no bullshit no
2: i'll say that if you read along you know that i'm not a huge advocate of that i will do ghost laying by which i mean i will invite that uh idolon to come home with me or hang out somewhere else because you kind of suck about it (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> maybe y'all are not good roommates, so I'll invite them to come hang out at my house, why, which is why it's like the most haunted place in North Carolina. <laughs> but, um, but really, I think people should rethink things like banishing and exorcism and all that stuff, because who says you have more right to be there than them?
1: Right, right. Something they, that's been, been there for longer than you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Been there for two. Let's say let's just give it a number like some. Some spirit entity has been there for two hundred years, and then you move in the house, and like you're like, no, no, get out of here. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they built the house, right? right. <laughs> says? And I love yeah, it. Well, I, and that.
0: Really, uh, that could take us into a very long discussion about property rights. I guess.
2: I guess. Yeah. Right. Think, How far I do they really too, go though, back? Yeah. We need to stop playing the it game with the dead, right? When people say, "Well, it it manifested," or "It you know spoke to me," these are people they're people let me reiterate they are people <laughs> right We you've got to stop dehumanizing the dead just because they're dead doesn't mean they are not human
1: well and, they... and we've we've had that experience in, in going to like group ghost hunts like in your book i think you mentioned uh was it i don't know if it was eastern state penitentiary but there was these these big group hunts that people go to and pay money to be part of and have an experience and we have sat around sometimes listening to people and how they interact with the so-called dead that's around them, that they think is around them and just like, you know, pull my hair, make this ball move, like being pushy. Like just, do you talk, would you talk like if a person came into the room, would you just talk to them that way? Like
2: Lord. I was on a panel a few weeks back at con Carolina, which is a great little con. I highly recommend it to anybody. I had a blast there, but um, did a panel on inclusive ghost hunting, which that was oddly controversial. We had some, <laughs> some people storm out of the room. It was a oh. whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I got asked a few questions being the, you know, the resident trans person on the right. panel. So I'm getting all the weird questions. But um, I was talking about how, one, like a lot of us have bad experiences with authorities like the police, for example, right? Uh, two, if we believe that some manifestations don't understand that they are dead, we'll just hold that fact off to the side and see, uh, let's sort of think about trauma. For example, if we take all those things and put it together, we storm into a space that an entity feels is theirs and they have just as much right to it. And then we act like the police. We start interrogating them. What's your name? What's your gender? whatever it's like, do you want my ID? Am I being arrested? Yeah. What, am I, what am I being charged with? And then the next thing out of your mouth is accusatory or demanding they share details about probably the worst trauma they ever experienced. Like, yeah, ask how's your day? That's just. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's try something friendlier for a change. Why not introduce yourself. Knock on the door. Ask if you can come in ask if it's okay if you keep your shoes on. This was somebody's house. Maybe they have opinions. Like, hey, my name is Martellus, and I do this for a living. Is it cool if I hang out with you for a bit? Like, why don't people take that human approach?
1: Right. I know. Now it makes me, we kind of always giggle. Scott and I, we were at, uh, I think it was Waverly Hills one time. Oh, God. And someone, we kind of, but now I kind of look at it as like, you know what, that probably was a nicer thing to be saying during an EVP session instead of all these, like, how did you die? But I remember this girl was like, what is your favorite cookie? <laughs> and
0: not, like no, do you I like that Do question. you that's awesome. like some and then the,
1: the weird one was like, do you like potatoes? <laughs> and that's and, like, and, you know what?
0: Mind you more tell us I think it may have been how it was delivered to Well there was
1: there was there was <laughs> it was kind of funny, but and now I'm thinking I love food. I love snacks. So if I was hanging out and someone just wanted to talk to me about snacks, I'd be like, "This is cool."
0: Well, one of the (laughs) ones, Mike Mike McDowell. If you remember Mike McDowell, Amber, Uh, um, yeah, Indiana um, Ghost, Indiana Ghost, Ghost, uh, Ghost, yeah, real nice guy. Still talk to him. Um, He said this years ago. We were we were in a we were in this building doing stuff, and his line was always, "Where'd you hide the money?" (laughs) He's like, "Was a lot of these people they hid money back in those days." They, I they guess
1: depending m- on the era, maybe. And I
0: thought that was a really good Dep- question to Depression ask.
1: people. Well, there's four jars in the backyard Well, yeah, these well, then you might
0: find something, too. That's kind of <laughs> cool also. Uh, but I always thought that was a really good question to ask.
1: Well, we could talk all night about this. I This <laughs> this subject is fascinating beyond all. It's endless. It is. Uh, you have to, everybody listening has to go pick up. Mortellus already has one book out there. This book is on its way. And I do want to end with another quote from uh, that lovely acknowledgement that I read (laughs) and everyone else too when they get the book. But I really want to end on this because I thought this was so lovely what you wrote. Quote, amongst the pages of any book, there will always be ghosts haunting the bylines. To those dead who have lent me their energy, their words, I offer not only my thanks, but a place on my altar. All authors one day will be ghosts among the pages. When the time comes that I too have joined those ranks, know that if I'm needed, I will come when you call. I love that. Is, that. that is pretty. I loved it. So yep. everyone, check out Mortalis. Where can they find everything about
2: you? Oh, if you search a crow in the dead, basically anywhere, you'll find me. I do have a link tree. If you do the link tree thing, just do backslash a crow and the dead and you'll find me.
1: And you have a Patreon, and I always encourage encourage people to join those because, like you mentioned, like people ripping off your content because it's out there for free. And if you can protect it and people that love what you do can throw a book at you every month, like, hey, awesome. Yeah. So check out the Patreon. Uh, we're I- going to have links up on our site for everything, too, so you have easy access to everything we're talking about tonight. Uh, I always
2: I always tell folks my my lowest tier there is a dollar and if you have a financial barrier that prevents you from that reach out to me and i will make sure that you are reimbursed that dollar every month awesome
0: oh
1: wow so i hope everyone that listened to this maybe is looking at death a little different after this uh maybe maybe not so negative maybe you're gonna go check out this book and look at things you're not gonna look at your microwave the same
0: I'm not. Oh, my goodness.
2: Would it it be all right if I left your listeners with a, a quote from the epilogue? Yes. We'd love it. All right. I'll read you out then. At night, my gaze often drifts to the twinkling memory of long dead stars as they glitter above me. Those stars that humanity wishes upon hangs its hopes and dreams upon that brings joy to our darknesses. I gaze outward at this memory written in light as it tells me a story of a past that I have never been a part of. There is beauty in death, the stars are ghosts, the night sky, a cemetery of light. It is with this in mind that I encourage you to have no fear of death, for death is patient, it is kind, it is inevitable. Death has no need to fight against you and more often than not will fight for you, knowing it will gather you home eventually. And death loves and treasures those who rail against it most of all. The healers and defenders and survivalists and necromancers and mad scientists and immortal gods. They pour everything they are into fighting it, denying it. And death adores every desperate scrap of strength and will and brilliance and raw determination that's been poured out against it. And when your strength is done and all your will and brilliance run out, Death gathers you close beneath a warm dark cloak and whispers, You were magnificent. Well done. Death does not seek to hasten an inevitable end and chastises those who seek to hasten it for others in death's stead, those who would slowly and patiently plot and sow and siphon away from others. Because who are they to hasten death's domain? And who are they to deny death its time and place? Who are they to cut short these vital glories that illuminate it so? Who are they to presume upon death's will? one that is so much larger and so much longer than theirs. Who are they to call and presume that death of all beings should obey? Death is not a hunter, but a gatherer. Death is always and eternal and loves you and can afford to wait. Death will fight for you and defend you and will place its hand upon those who would speed you to its embrace. Death has no need to rush, only to greet you when you call. Death is kind and patient, and before all and above all, inevitable.